The scripture this morning, uh, as we continue in our Here for Good series, is from the first book in the Bible, Genesis, chapter 18, verses 16 to 33. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you today. Thank you, Cindy. Um, isn't it a good day? Isn't this fun? I thought the band did a great job. It's, it's just fun to celebrate all the things that God has been doing and is getting ready to do. If you are uh, visiting from the Art and Wine Festival, we want to especially say welcome to you, or if you're visiting because a friend brought you, or you, I don't know, yelped us or whatever, welcome. Uh, you've come, to a lot of, I'm finding a lot of folks have yelped us and have come, which is, which is fun. Um, but if, if this is you, um, you've picked a great day to come, a great time to come visit, because uh, we're really talking about uh, the vision of current right now. Uh, we're really thinking about ahead, ahead of what, what God is doing and what God is calling us into. And so we've been doing this vision series we're calling Here for Good. Now, there's two meanings that kind of go along with this. There's here for good. We're a church startup. We're hoping that we're here for the, for the long haul. We're aiming for that. But we're also here for good. Uh, we believe that God has placed us here to have lasting impact uh, in the community, in the Silicon Valley, and beyond. So last week, we started this series off with a little bit of an introductory message talking about loving where we are. And we got into it a little bit, and we talked about how there's a number of reasons, either at the macro level or at the micro, where, you know, it's actually really easy to not love where we live. Uh, you know, in Silicon Valley, maybe it's the cost of living, the, the, the 
housing prices, or maybe it's more the, oh, it's not what I'm used to over there, or what I wish it would be over there. There's a lot of reasons why we might not necessarily just be thrilled and love where we are, but the premise of the series is no matter how we feel, God loves where we are. God loves the Silicon Valley. God loves the people here, and He's placed you and me, He's placed us as a church to be here for the good of the community, to bring His love and to share and extend His love. And uh, a few of us heard it uh, put this way at a, at a talk we, we attended. Geography creates mandate. Geography creates mandate. There's a number of scriptures, we've been looking at them throughout this series, where it's pretty clear from, from the scriptures' point of view that God has placed us where he, where he has us to geographically care and love for those around us. Well, last week we looked at how Jonah really didn't do a great job at this. And actually, the reason why uh, he didn't do, we, we find that it's hard to, to love where we live actually has to do a lot with ourselves, kind of the, the, the roadblocks in our own heart, even as God had placed him there to love the great city of Nineveh. Well, today we turn to Abraham and his story and how he actually leans into God's calling to love and care for the city. And what's amazing about Abraham is he, is he loves where he is and his surroundings, where he is, in a way that is probably, if you want to get down to it, the most important way that we as a church can love where we are. But it's also probably the most neglected. He prays. And so Abraham shows us the importance of prayer and, 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 and how to do it, namely. So I want to look through at this passage and look at how Abraham shows us uh, to have a heart for prayer as we, as we seek as a church to love love where we are. Let me pray, and then we'll, then we'll get into it. Father, as we look at prayer, we pray now, and we ask uh, for your Spirit to touch each of us, wherever we're at on our spiritual journey, that, uh, we would, we would have a, that you would touch us our lives, that you would move in our hearts, and as a church, you would make us the church that you've called us to be, loving where we are. Lord, would you develop and cultivate within us a heart for prayer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Abraham shows us how to pray, and we're going to go through a number of these, but, but one thing that just kind of pops out at the beginning is, is Abraham prayed responsively. Now, here's the context of what we're looking at. Uh, the story picks up in verse 16 of chapter 18. The beginning of chapter 18, Abraham had been visited by three visitors, and it says where we, where we pick up in verse 16 that these men got up to leave. Actually, uh, there more than likely two of these visitors were angels. We see that uh, in the next chapter, actually the first verse in the next chapter. And then one of these visitors was God himself, who is the person stay, lingering around talking to Abraham. And what had just happened is Abraham had been speaking to not only, uh, excuse me, God had been speaking to Abraham and Sarah about uh, the promise that he had, he had given them a while back. And by a while back, I mean about 24 years before that he was going to give them a son. And actually, at this, Sarah overheard it. He, she wasn't like directly in the conversation with Abraham and these visitors. She heard that God was saying, "Don't worry, the sun's coming. Uh, I'm going to promise. I'm going to follow through in this blessing." And she started to laugh. And it's kind of interesting. You look at back at the chapter. We're not going to spend too much time here, but but God calls her out on it. He's like, "Sarah, you laugh." She's like, "No, I didn't." Like, "Yeah, you laugh. You know, I didn't. you know that, that kind of deal." And God's like, "Yeah, you did. But let me tell you. Let me tell you. By this time next year, you're going to have a son, which I think is helpful." Uh, like a reference point as we start to th see how Abraham leans into God's calling for him because it's coming out of a season that was actually really hard for him. Have any of you been in a place where you've been maybe struggling or wrestling through with something, maybe with the Lord himself? Have you done that for 24 years? And yet, Abraham has a heart of prayer 
for, for the city, for these cities. Uh, what happens is, so the, the two angels leave and the Lord lingers on, and it's clear from the text that God's getting ready to discern and ultimately bring judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. What we've been told as, a re, as, as readers up to this point, if you look back in Genesis 13, is that this, these cities are, quote-unquote, wicked. Now, does that sound familiar? That was what we looked at last week when God sent uh, Jonah to the great city of Nineveh that he described himself as wicked. But remember there, God was going to, uh, sending Jonah deliberately to Nineveh with his message of love. He wanted to care for it. And it's with that spirit that we get, start to get into this text, and we see uh, uh, something pretty remarkable, pretty profound going on here. Look at verse 17. So after the guys got up to leave, the visitors, uh, the Lord stayed, and he said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Uh, shall I hide from Abraham? Are you guys following what's happening here? God's talking to himself. He's asking himself a question, which uh, we, he's not asking himself a question because he needs to work out his thinking or he doesn't know what he's getting ready to do. He's asking himself a, a question in order to reveal to us, the readers, what he's thinking. And what he's thinking is he's getting ready to include Abraham in on his plans. Uh, he goes on to actually reference, uh, uh, reason out what he's, what he's getting ready to do. He says, um, for, I've, I, uh, Abraham will sh- for Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. That is a very clear echo of the very first promise that God gave to Abraham. It's back in uh, Genesis 12. If you have your Bibles, you can peek there now. But if anything, I encourage you to mark that text because it's about as important of a Scripture text as there is. It's the foundational calling of God uh, 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 calling out a people unto himself, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And here's the blessing. Here's the, the, the calling that he had. Let me summarize. Abraham, through you and, and all the followers of mine through you, that come, I will bless in order to be a blessing to others. That's the foundational call. The foundational call is God wants to bless Abraham and through Abraham all all God's followers in order to be a blessing. Uh, So therefore, very early on in the formative like in the formation of of God's followers becoming his and what it means to be his, it's an outward-looking thing. It's always been, hey, I'm going to bless you, but I'm not just blessing you for your sake. I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others. Does that surprise you? I mean, if you think about the foundation of the Christian faith, Jesus said when he was asked, what are the greatest commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. It's always thinking about, it's always a blessing in and through others. And what's amazing here is when God comes to Abraham and says, shall I, you know, as he's talking to himself, shall I not hide what I'm getting ready to do? We see that he is deliberately choosing to include Abraham, his followers, in on his plans. And that's the basis of the prayer here. Uh, real quickly, uh, Jesus worked this way constantly. I mean, if you've read anything about the stories of Jesus or you know anything about the story of Jesus, he was working with some boneheaded dudes. I mean, and I love that they're boneheaded, the disciples, because we can so easily put ourselves in their shoes, right, Birkenstocks? We can put ourselves in that frame of mindset because we're boneheaded. But Jesus was constantly, look, he, he was constantly doing amazing things, helping others, blessing others, but he always, virtually always did it through his disciples. For instance, I always used to think that the, the feeding of the 5,000s was about just that, that Jesus fed the 5,000. That's certainly part of the story, but if you actually read the story more closely, it seems to me to be more about, a, about Jesus working through the disciples, 
in order to feed the 5,000. I mean, the disciples come up to him at one day after he's been teaching for, for a long period of time, and they say, Jesus, we're in a remote area. There's a lot of people. It turns out there's about 5,000. There's a lot of people here. They need to go get food. And he, without skipping a beat, shoots back at them. Why don't you get them some tea? And they're like, Jesus, we just said we're in a remote area, okay? And by the way, you're an itinerant preacher. We're essentially homeless. We don't have the kind of cash to pay for that. That would be a, a half a year's wages, they said. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? And the disciples say, oh, um, a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And then it says, Jesus had the disciples seat everybody in groups and rows. And then it says, as Jesus broke the bread and divided the fish, he multiplied the, the elements. It says he gave it to the disciples to distribute. And then after everybody, the whole crowd had their whole entire fill, it says it was the disciples who went out, these, these guys who've been following Jesus, who went out and collected it all, which I like to think, boy, there's a nod to, hey, we need to take care of our environment, not be wasteful. But I think it's more importantly there. Seriously, I was like, why is that there? But I think in part, it's also there to drive home from the very first, before any action came to be, from the very first, Jesus was working to the very last in his disciples to say, hey, I'm getting ready to do something. I want to do it through you. Um, Cindy and I used to watch a, uh, a bunch of Food Network shows, which I'm, I'm starting this real intricate diet right now. I've got to be careful with food stuff because I just start like, oh, I, gotta eat, I want to eat that. I can't eat anything right now. Um, but we used to watch these food show networks, and uh, one of them was really interesting because there's this really famous chef who every so, so many episodes or so would, would bring out uh, her uh, grandson who's about five or six years old. He's got this little kid named Jack. And Jack would be there, you know, beating the eggs, you know, doing the measurements, setting the oven. Um, it was really cute. But did she need Jack? <laughs> I mean, right? She didn't need Jack. Why'd she have Jack there? I mean, she loved Jack. She wanted to include Jack, and she wanted to equip and teach him in the ways of the family. But God relates to us not in a way of like equipping us to make a meal, which is kind of cool for the benefit of millions of people watching Food Network, sitting back there salivating. God includes us to change the world, to reach the nations, to bless them, to change eternity. That's how he's always ever worked. Going back to Genesis 18, shall I include Abraham in what I'm getting ready to do? And Abraham doesn't miss his opportunity. He prayed responsively. He steps up, literally steps up to it. Look at verse uh, 23. Then Abraham approached him and said, you know, but that, by the way, that word approached him is, is very spiritually intimate language. It means he drew near to him. He came near to God in his presence. And then he prays this, this very interesting prayer. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? So here's what we see. God is letting Abraham in miraculously into what he's getting ready to do. And Abraham, for his part, is stepping into that and saying, hey, I want to I be a part of this. So Abraham is, is praying responsibly. He is saying, okay, God is getting ready to do something, and I want to be a part of this, and I want to come to him in prayer over it. But he's not just praying in response to what God is getting ready to do. He's paying, praying in response to who God is. Do you see that? He's saying, God, you are this type of God. You are this type of God. Will not the judge 
of all the earth do what is right? What's he doing? He's appealing to God's nature. He's appealing to God's character. If you were here last week, you know that Jonah also basically called out the, the character and nature of God, but not in a loving way like Abraham. Do you remember it? So God sent Jonah to the, the, the wicked city of Nineveh because he loved the city and wanted to care for it through Jonah. And afterwards, after Jonah had gone out and, and preached God's love and, and everybody had basically said, you know what, we've got to change our ways, and they, 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 they did change their ways, God relented. God didn't do, he didn't come down, he didn't destroy the city. And Jonah, for his part, was furious. And you remember how he kind of like let it be known that he was mad? Oh, God, I knew you were going to do this. You're the gracious and compassionate one, slow to anger and abounding in love. Jonah was reaching, like appealing to his character too. But how is he doing it? And how is it different with Abraham? For Jonah, it was out of self-righteousness. I know better. Sense of pride. A sense of selfishness. But Abraham here, either at the conscious level or at the subconscious level, is leaning into God's calling to love where he is, to love where he is. Um, what's different? Jonah was reaching out to God for who he was. How, how, come, how come Jonah didn't get right and, and Abraham did? How come Abraham got right and Jonah didn't? The reason there is they both know who God was. He, they, they know who he is. But while both of them knew it from here, it was only Abraham who really experienced and received it. Now, Jonah, real quickly, you can listen to last week's message, he had had plenty of opportunities to to see God's love and grace in his life. Remember how we talked about that? God provided for him four times. Provided, 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 provided. Jonah, get on board. Hey, get on board. I want to do some wonderful thing for you. At the end of the text, we still don't think that Jonah, every indication is Jonah never got on board and missed out on this wonderful thing to love uh, alongside God in this whole thing. But Abraham had essentially experienced a similar deal. It's very easy to think of Abraham, this patriarch of the faith, as somebody who is a rock star in his spirituality. You know, he's the patriarch of the faith. He's a good guy. Read the Bible. You know, I would, I would guess that back in Genesis 12, when God came and gave that wonderful promise to Abraham, he probably, he very well could have reasoned, you know what, God is, God is choosing me because I'm a good person. But I'll guarantee you by Genesis 18, where we're at now, there's no way he would have been thinking that. I mean, you look at the stories, we don't have time to go through them all, but there's any a number of times through Genesis 12 to where we are today where he just let God down, where he failed God. He failed to trust God. He failed to believe in God. He did any number of really dumb things, sometimes doing the same dumb thing that he had just done a chapter ago. And yet, what do we see here? What do we see? We see that God is still hanging out with him. We see that God is actually speaking with him face-to-face, and wants to uh, include him in his plans. By now, Abraham knows that God is a sparing God, is what Abraham knows, and not just up here, but down here, that God forgives, that God pardons, that God loves, that God is a God of grace. And it's on this nature, it's on this appeal that Abraham has compassion and love and intercedes for the cities, the unbelieving cities. This is a basis for our prayer. Do you realize that? If you've ever prayed before, have you ever just kind of seen prayer along these lines as an opportunity just kind of to to sit back and take in what God may be doing in and around you? To not come with our own agenda, but to say, God, is there something you're doing or is there something I I can join you in with prayer? 
and then, and then appealing to him for different things based on his character and his nature. You know what? I love that. Uh, as cool of a thought as that is, I love that it's based on his nature, his character that we can appeal versus, for instance, our character. Like, hey, God, will you do this? Because I've really been doing my part. It's because it's, this is beautiful because it's only his nature and his character that's unchanging and is rock solid. Abraham prayed uh, responsively. It follows that he prayed outwardly. And we'll go through these a little bit more quickly than that first point. He prayed outwardly. I love this about Abraham. This would not be in the text today. We would not have the story in the Bible if not for Abraham's heart of love for others. Um, he wanted to pray for these cities. Uh, he wanted to pray and care for them, which I've asked it this way before, but I think it's helpful again to think about it. If you were to hear if, if you were to hear a recording of your prayers for the last six months, what would you, what would you hear there? Some of us are like crickets. Okay. All right. If for the last six months you heard your prayers, what would you hear? My guess is a lot of our prayers, you, you, we'd hear, God, would you provide for me? God, would you care for me? God, would you, would you, would you care or provide, protect the people real close to me? And so on and so forth. But if God is, has placed you and me here in this area for good, he wants us to lift up our eyes and look more outward. If prayer had the power, if, if prayer had one-tenth of the power, the Bible says it does. It's worth praying and, and more often and more earnestly. And to my Christian friends, if we long to see God's kingdom come, his will be done. Does that not start with prayer? Even as itself is in God's model prayer as Jesus gave it to us. Uh, you know, as we think about this outward thought and how we need to lift up our eyes and, and have a heart like Abraham's of, uh, of prayer in, in this way, um, I, th- I think of the this last week, uh, a number of us got to go hear uh, Tim Keller uh, give a talk down there uh, uh, over uh, Abundant Life uh, Church, and uh, it, was, it was really fun. I mean, you know, Tim Keller's an author, pastor out of uh, Redeemer Manhattan Church, and it was, you know, the kind of talk that you're just writing, your hands hurting so much. I mean, there's a lot of really good information. But, you know, as great as the talk was, I, I want to say my favorite part was actually the prayer time that happened afterwards. Afterwards, uh, a ga- uh, Nancy Ortberg, CEO of TBC, which is called Transforming the Bay with Christ, um, got up there and led us in a time of prayer. That was just like, wow, this is what it's all about. We listened to this wonderful talk, and she said, hey, guys, okay, let's first, let's get into little groups. Let's pray first for our own hearts. What was she saying? She was saying, let's pray responsively. Let's pray in terms of who God is, what we just learned about him, and how we don't deserve him, and let's just start there. And then after we prayed that, he, she said, hey, now let's pray. Now let's pray for the place that God's placed us in. That's where I heard the, 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 the term geography creates a mandate. I thought it was really interesting, really helpful. She said, let's pray for those, that, that we would be a spiritual blessing as a church, that people would come to know Jesus, that we would be a tangible, physical blessing in this area, helping the broken, the homeless. She listed them off. The, the sex trafficking, the, all these, the fostering she mentioned, all these sorts of things. She said, let's pray for this. And you know what I thought was so amazing as she was directing our hearts in prayer? Is she and her team through TBC, which by the way, we're part of by God's grace, I say humbly, they are killing it on all those fronts. They are doing wonderful things in the foster system. They are doing wonderful things in, 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 in helping combat the human trafficking, the homeless, the whole nine yards. She never mentioned any of that. She said, guys, she said this, it starts with prayer. We've got to be praying because we're convinced that none of this is going to happen unless we're praying. And so if we really believe this, if, if, and if we are here for good, that starts, church friends, with prayer. 
And we need to be praying for those around us, not just immediately, but geographically. Lift up our eyes in prayer. Abraham prayed boldly. Now, this is where, to me, the text gets really, really fun. Um, Along with praying outwardly, Abraham was pretty courageous here for a number of reasons because he was essentially endangering himself as he made this prayer. Do you see that? For starters, he was endangering himself with God, okay? If God is the holy God, he was coming up there with some, I want to say, hairy chest, okay? He was coming up with some audacious prayer. Far be it from you. I love that that's in the Bible. By the way, he didn't do it out of self-righteousness or like he did it with great fear and, and trembling. But at one point, he realizes what's going on here in his prayer, doesn't he? Uh, verse 27, by the way, though that I'm, I'm dust and ashes, uh, he realizes he's endangering himself in that sense. But also check this out. He's, he's endangering himself in terms of what he's actually praying for. If his prayer becomes true, his own well-being will be at risk. Sodom and Gomorrah did not, those cities did not like Abraham. They did not like Abraham's tribe. And they were not only wicked, they were also described as violent, meaning they, they were a thorn in Abraham's side. And if they were spared by God, Abraham would continue to have that threat looming over him his well-being, his livelihood, even his life at stake, and yet he prays for them. Isn't that an amazing thought that uh, he, he would pray in, in such a way? Do you know that some of the, one of the, the markers of the early Christian church for why it spread so rapidly through the gospel, uh, through the, through the uh, Roman Empire, was that it was non-retaliatory? Uh, that it was non-retaliatory. The early Christian church, uh, the reason, that, one of the reasons the message spread so quickly is people saw this non-retaliatory nature and were like, oh my goodness, what is this? It's radical. Because back in that time in the Roman uh, Empire, uh, what would happen is if someone hurt you or one of yours or killed you, what you did in turn is go and kill one of them, hurt one of them. But the Christians would first say, you know, we're not going to do that. We're not gonna, they, they, they cared much about justice, but they weren't going to seek vengeance in their own right. They were the first not to do that. And as a result, people are like, this is radical. You know, before a service today, uh, in our devotional as, as leaders, we're getting set for uh, this time of worship. I read from Acts, Acts 4, and it's amazing to look at it because in Acts 4, Peter and John, the same disciples, boneheaded disciples, who had, you know, after Jesus had died and rose again, are now really stepping into their own, being some really strong leaders. They had been imprisoned. They come out of prison having threats looming over them. The authorities are saying, hey, we're going to start persecuting you guys and everybody who's involved with you. They come, they literally, first thing, report that to the church, and the, and, and the church's first response is what? Prayer. And what is essentially their prayer? Not, hey, God, would this just go away? We're getting ready to be persecuted. Lord, protect us. They don't say any of that. They say, God, if this is a means that you're going to use to help people come and learn about Jesus, bring it on. How could the early church say that? How could Abraham pray in this way? How can you and I pray in this way? Uh, of course, uh, that's what the heart of this text is all about. This is the heart of the whole Bible is about. Um, for the gospel is Jesus died for us when we were his enemies. Uh, Abraham knew this, that he didn't deserve God's love. He understood that Sodom and Gomorrah, for that matter, didn't either. But Abraham, and Abraham knew enough about God at this point to know that he is a holy and just God, dealing with wickedness as it deserves. And yet, God is also a loving, forgiving God, the God who spares. 
The thing that Abraham didn't understand is how God could be all these things together. But we know, but we know this text was pointing forward to Jesus and what he would ultimately do for us on the cross. Uh, Abraham, it can be said, is, it was basic, uh, Jesus would become the true and greater Abraham. For while Abraham risked his life praying for people who might have killed him, Jesus gave his life. And by the way, gave his life literally while praying for those taking it. Do you know that? There's a story, there's plenty of stories where literally while Jesus is being struck and led off to his death, he's praying a prayer like, Father, forgive them. As he's being hit, Father, forgive them for they don't fully understand what's going on. And then literally on his cross, his prayer is essentially this, Father, the wages of sin is death, but I have paid that wage, I have died. Now, Father, spare them. Have mercy on them, not despite your justice, but because of your justice, because it would be unjust to receive two payments for the same debt, and I've paid for it. Uh, It was Jesus' true and greater prayer, in a sense, over and above Abraham, that brings true life, that saves us. And though Abraham didn't fully understand how this would play off, he knew that this was part of who God is and his promise and how it would play off play out, and so he wanted to join God in praying even for his enemies. It emboldened him to know who God is, but we know Jesus and what he did for us. It ought to embolden us, not with a sense of self-righteousness or pride. Um, Do you notice that, by the way, that Abraham, he's bold here, but when he's bold, uh, he doesn't do it out of self-righteousness. If you were here last week, that Jonah really employed, you remember? He's bold, but any number of times, may, I be, may the Lord not be angry as I'm bold. Do you see that? He's humble. And it's the same way we should be humble and yet bold in praying for those around us. Because the fact of the matter is, we don't deserve God's love the way, the way he's extended to us. And yet we can be, be bold because it's not based on us or what we've got figured out, but based on what he has done for us, that we can be a loving presence in this area, even in the face of people who are not super Uh, people who might be our enemies. If we're going to be here for the good as a church in the Silicon Valley, I think it's pretty clear we have to be bold. But friends, that starts with prayer. We have to start praying that asking the Lord to fill us like the early church, frankly, like Abraham, uh, to become bold in our prayers and to ask and watch as he he moves and, and shares his love in and through us. Uh, two more ways that Abraham showed us how to pray, and we'll, we'll go through this quickly, and then we'll, we'll bring it all together. Abraham prayed persistently. Now, this one's pretty, pretty straightforward, right? You see the sequence of the prayer. His argument to the Lord is essentially, if there are a certain number of righteous people here, uh, will he not uh, spare the city for the sake of the righteous? And he kind of does this whole like numbers thing, right? He says, what if there's 50 people, 50 righteous people in the city? Will you spare it? And he's like, yes, I will spare it. And then he says, well, what about five less? God does the math. 45, okay, I won't do it. What about 40? Uh, if there are 40 righteous people, I won't spare it. Can I get 30? Abraham said, no, I won't spare I will spare it if there's 30. 20, yep. Can I speak one more time? How about 10? If there's 10, and God says, sure. You know what's interesting to me as you read that sequence? It almost seems to me that it's, uh, it doesn't seem to me, it seems certain to me. It's Abraham who ran out of grace. It's Abraham who had the limit. And it's as if God was saying, hey, just, hey, just keep talking. I mean, do you, do you hear that? And by the way, that's a pointing forward also to the gospel because the gospel is Jesus just didn't, didn't just say, okay, we need, 10 to save, uh, we, need, we need 10 to save a city, 10 righteous people. No, he's, 
Jesus came as the one and only truly righteous person. The one, not just save the city, but save the world. But clearly, too, this shows us that we need to persist in prayer. Look, God is far more gracious to us. God is far more gracious than we tend to realize or give him credit. And he, he, he desires for us to seek him in that, in prayer. Uh, Jesus talked about this. I don't have time to go through the whole uh, parable that he basically said to this point. He talks about a widow who went out to, to see an unjust judge, and the judge was just like, I, that's not my thing. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to give this widow justice, but she just kept going. She just kept going, and finally the guy, the judge was just like, oh my goodness, I don't want to do this for her, but I, she's, she has it up to here with her. I can't, I can't stand it. So he gives her justice. And, and Jesus basically says, will not God if this is how the unjust judge operates, will not God bring about justice for, the, for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I love this parable because the first sentence actually tells us the answer to the test. So often this parable is like, okay, wait, what's Jesus saying? What's the point? What's it mean? Jesus actually, he says, he told this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. <laughs> There it is. Um, but we so often give up, don't we, in prayer. Um, there are prayers being answered today by people close to me that they've been praying for, for, for decades. And, uh, you know, it could be easy to say, oh, well, maybe that's just how it worked out. But I don't think it's, it works that way. I don't think that's the reality of it. We should always pray, Jesus says, and not give up. Abraham prayed persistently. Lastly, Abraham prayed expectantly. I used expectantly because that's one of our values. Another way to put this is he prayed big things. Uh, Abraham kept coming back and back and back, saying, I want more, I want more, I want more. And you may say, in the end, didn't he not get what he asked for? I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, yes and no. His, his nephew Lot uh, did make it out. And the Bible says in chapter 19 that God did that because Abraham made this prayer. Um, you never know what you're going to get when you ask, but here's the thing. This passage says, ask God for big things. Be bold. Pester him with his own word, with his own character. Go after him. Why? Because we can. Why? Because he invites us to. Why? Because in some way beyond my mind, it moves his heart and moves him into action. He's not satisfied with just saying, hey, I want to bless you, I want to take care of you. He wants to, in you and through you, bless you. But you have to lift up your eyes. Um, so what, what are the next steps? What are some takeaways, just real quickly as we, as we close? How might you cultivate a heart of prayer like Abraham's? Uh, maybe you've never really prayed for others before. Start there. Maybe you've given up praying for someone or something that's really, that really matters. You know it matters to the Lord. Why have you stopped? I have a friend who, uh, she heard the story of Cindy's dad putting his faith in the Lord. Cindy, uh, my wife, um, uh, obviously had a real heart for her, for her dad for many years. Somebody who held God in anything religious, literally at arm's length. I don't want to talk about that. Um, but of course, because of Cindy's love for him, she yearned above everything else that, she, that he would someday come to know and receive of the love of God in Jesus, and he did that one day. One of our friends heard that, and it start, she started to tear up because she's like, oh my goodness, that's my dad, and there's just no way he would ever do that. There's just no way. I just, that's, my heart yearns for that, but there's just no way. I remember seeing her 
not too long ago, years since we had last seen her. And when we saw her, she started tearing up, not because she was excited to see us. She teared up because she said, hey, I got to tell you guys something. Remember I told you it just wasn't going to happen. It was just not possible. My dad, just, it's just a miracle, guys. It's insane. Put his faith in Jesus. And then she said this. She said, and I have to confess to you that I stopped praying about it. Which, you know, makes me think a little bit about when Jesus says, however, will the, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Uh, that's the invitation. And he's far more gracious than we realize. That he wants to work, but he's saying, just come, always pray, never give up. We don't know the timing. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know what he's doing in, in, in it and through it all and how it's all going to play out. Goodness gracious, Abraham understood that for 25 years. Um, maybe you've never been bold in your prayers. What, what would it mean for you to be bold in your prayers? Like, what, what would that look like? What would it mean to pray for those? I mean, have you ever prayed for somebody who kind of has it out to get you? Get you? I've done that before. I, I, I kind of don't like it. <laughs> because as I'm praying, I'm starting to like, oh, darn, my heart's like, God's like rooting out of my heart that they're not actually my enemy. You following? This guy's hurt me, and I just really want to be mad at them. I want to bring down curses. I won't do that as a good Christian. I won't bring down curses, but I, okay, I'll pray for them. And as you pray for them, and as you intercede for them, and as you pray based on God's character and who God is to us responsibly, I can't help but mold your heart and say, oh my goodness, he doesn't, he deserves, he, if he doesn't deserve my love, I don't deserve God's love. And yet God uses those things to redeem, not just in our, our own hearts, by the way, that's part of it, but to actually love, serve, and care for others through us who need, who need his love. Maybe you've never prayed big prayers. Church family, can we pray big prayers? Can we pray big prayers? Can we lift up our eyes and see the big things that God wants to do around us? Can we dream together and think about it? Um, you know, my parents started a church um, many years ago back in Berkeley, and everybody said, you're going to Berkeley to start a church? That's it's insane. Like, no, how are you guys going to do that? Um, and their response was really humble. Well, we're not going to do it. We're just going to hope God does it. And God did it. And God did some amazing things. And God, seeing what God did there through that church startup, permeating out through the city of Berkeley, I just had, by the way, this week, hearing some folks who've been touched through this marker, this marker, this marker, from what had happened back then. And my prayers, my, my parents' prayer from the beginning, that church prayer from the beginning, is like, Lord, don't just do something here. Would you, would you from Berkeley, would you from the Bay Area out have a blessing? Would we pray that? A lot of people say, hey, Berk, you know, the Bay Area, oh, that's, that's a place that's just impossible. God is the God of impossibles. Can we join him in praying that the, that the Bay Area would come to know Jesus, many here, and not like in some nominal way, self-righteous way or anything like that, but really understand God's love and steward some of these wonderful resources that we have here for the sake of helping others and caring for others. Uh, that, would be, that would be exciting. Um, that's, that's, our, that's our calling, right? To love where we live. And a big part of that, often the most neglected part of that, is prayer. So, so friends, church family, let's, let's, be, a, let's be a church of... Of prayer. Let's develop a, that, that culture starting in our own hearts. Uh, let's pray.